Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman, covered the Washington football team under various nicknames, etc. for about five, six, count pregame. Logan, I've been doing this for seven years now in D.C. Logan Paulson played ten years at tight end in the NFL, including... How many did you play in Washington, by the way? I should know this. We've done enough shows together. I should know your bio off the top of my head by now, but I don't. Yeah, so I did five seasons active. I had one season on IR, and then that... So I guess six years. I love love that terminology. I did five seasons. (laughs) For some of those years, it was like doing time. Uh, Today on the show, the schedule is out, so we will guide you through things that matter, things that don't. We're not going to sit here and go through... like We joked about it on last week's show, but we're not actually going to go through and be like, win-loss, 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 because it's impossible. But from travel to clumps of home games or road games or quick turnarounds, what are the things that when we look at the schedule, now that we actually have it, we think actually matter? Then we're going to go inside the film room. Logan locked himself in a dark room all weekend. Just kidding. He didn't. He he played with his kids and stuff because he's a good dad. Uh, (laughs) But in between doing all all the dad stuff, he did indeed uh, spend a good amount of time breaking down the middle linebacker play last year for this team. Why didn't it work for Jamin Davis? What did and didn't work for Cole Holcomb? How did those two's play get affected on the outside when David Mayo came in at the end of the year? We'll get into some of all of that here on the show today. And then Mondays we've been doing, I guess this kind of works, Logan, a Monday mailbag. Uh, it's a nice, nice alliteration. Which, perfect, yeah. Look, in podcast radio world, we love a good alliteration. So we'll do a little Monday mailbag at the end of the show. And Logan did make a promise right before we started recording that next by the next show, so by Thursday, he's going to be on I'll Twitter. Have a Twitter. Yep, I'll have a Twitter by then. Okay, so he'll get on the tweeters. And in the meantime, make sure you send your questions in to me, at Craig Hoffman, C-R-A-I-G-H-O-F-F. M-A-N, and then, of course, you'll see some of this podcast and everything else Logan does on Instagram for him at Logan underscore Paulson 82. All right, with that, let's get into the schedule. It comes out, uh, obviously, last Thursday we recorded with, with Sheehan. Great episode if you went back, if you want to go back and listen. Uh, but we recorded with Sheehan, and then the schedule came out. I'll just read through it real quick. It's pretty alternate home road. There's not really a ton of clumps, but there are some interesting things in it. Uh, Starts out with Jacksonville at home, then at Detroit, home Philly, at Dallas, home Tennessee, at Chicago. That's a Thursday nighter. Home Green Bay, at Indianapolis, the Carson Wentz revenge game. Uh, or one of three, I guess, if you count the Philly games, too. Uh, We're now in week nine, November 6th, home against Minnesota. At Philly, at Houston, so week 10 and 11, that's Monday night, Sunday, first time you're on the road back-to-back, home against Atlanta, at New York, by week, 
home New York, both the Giants there, no Jets. That really is back-to-back against the same opponent. At San Francisco, then you finish with two at home. Cleveland and then Dallas in that big old TBD. Is that a Saturday game, a Sunday game that gets flexed, or a Monday? I think there's a Monday night or a Monday night doubleheader in Week 18 this year. So I'd have to double check on the uh, yeah uh, on the dates of that. But that is the schedule, Logan. What stands out to you when you kind of made your way through it for the first time and, and have been combing through it again uh, for all the shows and everything you're doing all weekend? Yeah, so I think uh, the interesting thing is that everyone thinks, oh, we're going to have like an easy start to the season with Jacksonville and the Detroit Lions or the Commanders will. But, you know, I don't necessarily see it that way. I think Jacksonville's done a really nice job this offseason in terms of adding some pieces that are going to be tough. So I think that's the thing about analyzing the schedule that I always get kind of on the fence about, right? Because these teams are not the teams that everyone saw last year. Obviously, just like at a basing starting point for the Jacksonville Jaguars, they no longer have Urban Meyer as their head coach, right? Hallelujah. So that's a huge by thing, the way, right? So, by the way, real quick, did you see <clears throat> the Chargers schedule release? Did you see that video? No, no, no. Oh, Logan, I got to send this to you. Incredible yeah, comedy. Uh, but it part they took it. They took a heck of a shot at Urban Meyer. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Amongst many other shots they took in that video, right, Chargers right. social media team. Bravo, bravo. But, uh, okay, so not as easy as everyone thinks to the start. Jaguars don't have Urban Meyer. That's an upgrade for them continuing on. Same thing with Detroit. I think, like, both these teams are not very good, but they have definitely gotten better. And I think Dan Campbell's done an excellent job with that team, that organization, of finding pieces. So, in some ways, I think it's good. They're not going to be world beaters necessarily, but they aren't going to be, like, pushovers. So, kind of like, you know, that college preseason where you schedule, like, southeastern western lafayette state to play mm-hmm. a game like that all might due be respect good, of course yeah to them where if that's a real school but <laughs> I, I do think they're going to be it's an nfl football team they're going to be ready to go i think the toughest stretch to me is eagles cowboys titans and then bears i know bears aren't a good football team but it's on thursday night so you're coming off playing tennessee right who's maybe one of the most physical teams in the nfl or at least that's kind of their part of their identity and you got a short week to travel to chicago which is not a terrible road trip but it's not an easy road trip either and i think right now you know, we've talked about Philly. We haven't really talked about Philly, but we're going to soon. Is I think they're the best team in the division with some of the stuff they've done this offseason. Specifically, you look at their draft. Excellent work. The Cowboys, I think, are a step back, right? I think uh, the commanders and the Cowboys are a little bit more even. But, uh, you know, a division rival early in the season, always tough. And this team, historically, since Ron has been here, has not started you know, with the utmost haste, right? It's been a little deliberate, you know what I'm saying? So I think catching those two teams early is not great. And I think Tennessee is, you know, obviously say what you want about Ryan Tannehill, but I do think that that team knows who they are. Mike Vrabel being the head coach there, like has them going in the direction that I would want my team to go. And I like the run first philosophy. Obviously Derrick Henry will be healthy. They've added some pieces along the offensive line. They're a little bit scattershot at the wide receiver position at the moment. Like how does Traylon Burks replace AJ Brown and, you know, how much of A.J. Brown's um, play style was influencing um, Ryan Believe. Tannehill. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good question to kind of keep an eye on moving forward. And then I think the Bears are a garbage fire at the moment, but you're getting on a short week. And I think that's a big thing to consider, right? And then you go Packers the week after that. So maybe you can include the Packers in that, like, little thing. Obviously, the Packers' ales at receiver have been well-documented, you know, like, not, like getting rid of um, – Devontae, uh, Devontae Adams, thank you, um, is a big deal. They did some stuff in the draft, which I think is nice. Christian Watson's a nice piece, but he's definitely not Devontae Adams. So how does um, Rodgers handle this kind of losing his number one target? I know that, that it, they were kind of a run-first team last year, kind of a sneaky run-first team last year. So, again, Titans, you know, you got the Bears, say what you want about them, back to kind of a run-first team into the Colts, who was also a run-first team. So that's like going to be a pretty – 
physically brutal schedule. And then that sets you up for maybe your favorite game of the year, the Vikings coming home and the revenge game of, I think it's a revenge game for Kirk Cousins. You think it's a revenge game for the coach, though? I, I think it's both. I, th- I think Cousins is going to be highly motivated, which doesn't always work out well for Kirk. Like, if he if he hypes himself up too much, he's one of those guys that, like, yeah. you're like, ah, you got a little too far on the old Yerkes Dotson curve. Go go <laughs> Google the Yerkes Dotson curve, kids, if you uh, want to know what that. Basically, it's a performance curve. The higher the pressure, how does your performance relegate? Like, some people are, like, Michael Jordan was a flat line. It didn't matter whether you were in practice <laughs> or in game set. Well, he never got to game seven, but. Game right. six of the NBA Finals, he was always going to perform at his best. Other people, it's more curved, and it's like there's kind of that medium pressure where it's enough to get your juices flowing, but not yeah. too much to crush you. And I feel like Kirk, if you get to that, the juices flowing too much, he just goes into like panic mode sometimes. Um, but, but yeah, going to be it's going to be interesting. It's been it's also been so long that it might not be as as much as it had it been anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but me, a good good team, good team for sure. Yeah, no, but they, I mean that's the thing. They're a good team, and and if as Kevin said, you know, if O'Connell's anything as a head coach with the talent they have, they should be a good team. I will yeah. say this about the start of the season: getting Jacksonville, Detroit early, I love because yeah. while they are better, it might take them a couple weeks to get their feet yeah. underneath them, and so getting you know them literally weeks one and two, I, I feel like is much better than getting them later in the year. Yep. Unless all of a sudden it falls apart again for the both of them. And they're just, you know, if all of a sudden you get them in week 15, they got nothing to play for then who knows, but the way the lions played all year last year, knowing that they were, you know, not going to the playoffs pretty early in the year. Um, that that's, that's a high character football team under Dan Campbell. Yeah. Um, I, I think that stretch that you pointed out is, is really fascinating from that physicality standpoint. You know, Thursday night, if you're going to have to play on a quick turnaround, you never want it to be on the road. It's on the road at Chicago. Right. I will say this, though, and you know this from playing in Chicago. Much other that game in October than November, Correct. December. Yep. Like, if, if, you're, if you're in the coldest I've ever – like, I went to Syracuse University. I know cold. <laughs> The coldest I've ever been in my life is in Chicago in December at a night yeah. game. It was it was the night Ditka's number got retired. Were you were you in Chicago at that point? Or were you still With, here? Uh, what year was that? It, was, it would have been fourteen. No, I think you were here still. I was here still. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was, it but was I will say, or me too. It was coldest awful. game I played in. Coldest game I played in was in Chicago, and it was like you went out and like when you're playing, it's fine. But then you come to the sideline, and you're like, oh, like I might actually get hypothermia. So it is a yeah. it is October is a good time to be there. Right? It, so. it was back when I was in Dallas and Romo was still quarterbacking the Cowboys that guy could not get to the sidelines and in his his big old parka <laughs> fast enough and I like everyone's like ah oh, look at Romo soft I'm like no look at Romo he's smart they got <laughs> killed the Bears absolutely lit him up that night um, but having that game in in October like you're looking at mild weather that should be good should be able to, to use your speed you know everyone's not just running to the sidelines getting cold as fast as you can mm-hmm. uh, or getting warm as fast as you can and, and I do think that it's it's I mean the weirdest stretch by far, and I don't know why on earth the NFL did this, at Giants by week against the Giants again. Yeah. How does that happen? Like, I we talked know. with Kevin a little bit about the logistical nightmare that can be putting together an NFL schedule from stadium availabilities to trying to be fair with travel to all these different factors. You're piecing together a massive puzzle. But it seems like within that, the rules that the computer system that now does this has to follow is – don't let two teams play each other back to back, and I guess probably the Giants have a week in between. I, I don't think their bye week is also week fourteen. Right. That's just a weird bit for the for the Commanders. I mean, last year they had a, a weird stretch with Dallas where they had Dallas someone else, and I think one of them was a Thursday night. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like Dallas someone else, Dallas again. Yeah. 
and obviously they got crushed that second Dallas game um, as the Cowboys were back healthy and, and Washington was still ravaged with COVID. But uh, man, that's a that's a weird, weird bit that the NFL pulls there, and I I don't know how to feel about like I I feel a little better about it from Washington's perspective because it is the Giants, and the Giants yeah. aren't very good. At least we don't think. Um, although we as as talked about on last show, like we think they're going to be better, but I just it's. It, to me, it's just off, and like that's not that's not how the NFL functions. If you're going to see teams twice, there should be space in between. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, it is weird, and it always is tough to play a team like back to back like that or on a short turnaround, right? Because you know them so well. So, like, let's say for example, like Washington wins the first matchup, like because it's so fresh in your mind, like the corrections are much easier for the Giants to make. So it's so hard to win like uh, sweep a series when it's stacked like that. Because you can like, there's so much intel that can be gained and gleaned, and like this is what we didn't do well in the first game. How do we change that up for the second game? So I think it's going to be really tough. And in a, in a way, it's good. Like let's say Washington loses the first game, I think it leads to like a more like like a higher likelihood they win the second game. But it it is just odd. It looks weird on the schedule, you know, especially with the bye. I think you know the Giants probably look different. They have a game in there, so it doesn't right. kind of stand out to you in this really dramatic way. But yeah, then they got that really tough road trip to uh, San Francisco. Obviously, like that's yeah. never easy. Christmas Eve, like. That's a rough deal. Yeah. I, I, you know, we did like a schedule prediction for the show today, the commander show. And like, that's got to be a loss. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to be so tough for them to fly out there Christmas Eve away from the family. That's a rough deal. Yeah. You just, I can I can hear Ron in my head right now. They're like, hey, let's let's take a win home for Christmas kind of deal. Yeah. But mm-hmm. That's tough. I, I will say that one last thing on, on the Giants oddity of the schedule. It's also to me like and, and this look, this is my reporter, journalist, whatever side coming out of like the storylines, right? But it's like antithetical to what it means to to play your divisional opponents. Like mm. the reason you play them twice is because you're trying to decide the champion of that division, which is supposed to encompass the entire season. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so to play a team in its same form twice that yep. close, like I like when they play early and then play again late. It lets you see the growth and how the teams develop over the course of the year. And you have those two extremely important, basically doubly important data points that are spread out and and capture something about each portion of the season. And to have that cram late, like it just, it's, it to me is just not how that's supposed to work. And and I wish the NFL wouldn't do that. I think that's a great point because also like, that's one of the things that separates the NFL from like the NBA or the MLB, for example. Right. It's like, those like for when you cluster them really close together like that, the meaningful part of the season becomes very, very small. Right. Right. Kind of to your point. And I think that that is, um, that's fantastic insight. Um, and then at the end of the year, you finish starting with the second giants game, three of four at home, which if you're in contention, this is a chance for commanders fans to see something in person. They haven't seen yeah. at FedEx field in a long time, which is competitive football late in the season. And, you know, games that matter, obviously, a couple of years, you know, Ron's first year, they, they ultimately win the division late. Um, but it, it is the kind of thing where in May, it's easy to be an optimist. Mm-hmm. But if realistically, if this thing's going south and, you know, I, I don't want to, like, put this out there, but like and be the downer, <laughs> but like I'm going to do it. I'm just the reality of both sides of this coin. Right. Like on one side, it could be really exciting on the other side, man, yeah. if they're if they are either out of the playoffs or they get eliminated in that Giants game or, you know, the mm-hmm. second to last week of the season, that is going to be an incredibly empty stadium. And those there are going to be wearing other jerseys or booing. And yeah. it's going to be ugly. And, like, that's the kind of thing that, you know, when it happens, you're like, oh, well, this, blah, blah, blah. And it, it, we never we never talked about it back in the off season. So I'm just going to mention that. I'm going to throw it out there yeah. uh, of, like, again, not wishing that, just saying this is a possibility. 
there is a, a double-edged sword of having some of your final games at home. And for a team that has had some really, really ugly week 17s where, like, I mean, my last year on the beat, man, that was 2019. Jay's last year. Obviously, Jay at that point was gone. Callahan's, you know, yeah. part of the year. That Eagles game in week 17 where it was the biggest crowd they had all year at home and it was because everybody and their brother and their mother and their <laughs> uncle came down from Philly and it was all green. Like, that was that was embarrassing, frankly, as yeah. an organization. And, you know, if all of a sudden week 17 – you're not playing for anything. Dallas is knowing how many Dallas fans there are in the area and how well they travel. Like that's a potential situation. And for a coach like Rivera, who's going to be looking probably for an extension after this season is he's entering, would be entering the final year, year of his deal next year. It's just something to kind of like, again, not wishing that not trying to be negative, just something mm-hmm. to put in the back of your, your mind as a possibility, but hopefully it's, it's the opposite. Hopefully, and it, again, this is way more fun to talk about when they're winning. Hopefully, if there's nothing to play for, it's because they already clinched something, and you know we get to see, who knows, maybe we get to see Sam Howell for a game in Week 17 resting up for yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, well, I think the other thing to consider there is like when you look at the schedule, there's probably like just based on last season, and I know it's really tough, but like there's probably six uh, surefire wins, and I think Vegas has them winning seven this year. I personally think Carson Wentz is going to swing this a little bit different. You know, kind of to your point, like, will they be playing for something, yes or no? I think they squeak out some of those games of, against good football teams, like the Colts, for example, with a new quarterback. Minnesota, I think. Um, I think there's an opportunity to beat the Titans. I think they're an imperfect team by, by a long shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, those games, like, this season, it's it's there for them to make these last four meaningful, especially coming out of the bye week. And it, in some ways... If they're in it, it's good to have a late bye because you get fresh for the playoffs, kind of refocus, get a little momentum going in. So, you know, I think, yes, like there's an opportunity that that looks like a garbage fire. But I also think that it's important to note that this schedule is about as good as you're going to get when it comes to making a shot for Ron and this staff to make a push into the playoffs, especially given Carson Carson Wentz's addition. And I've been well-documented saying, like, I think Carson gives you – three more wins, maybe four more wins. So if you say we got six wins for sure, based on last, like last year's roster, last year's play, add Carson. I think that that's not crazy to be at the 10, maybe 11 mark. And you're, you're sniffing around the playoffs. So totally. And, and again, I'm not predicting that it's going to be an ugly, yeah, end but of it the would season, be gross. But like, I'm just, I'm just saying like, that's a possibility. You got three year last four at home. You better hope that you're competitive. Um, and if you're not competitive, it's because you already clinched and you've exceeded all expectations. Um, so here's, here's to hope. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take Command Podcast here on Odyssey Sports. Uh, make sure you subscribe, whether it's Spotify, Apple, 
uh, you can subscribe right there in the Odyssey app. However you want to do it, wherever you're listening right now, obviously we're available. So go ahead and hit subscribe. That way you don't miss an episode. All right, we're going to do this over the next couple of weeks here. One of the things that we did on the pregame show is we go into the film room and, and break down a couple plays from one of the previous games. And taking that idea to the offseason here, it, we're going to start with positional breakdowns. And yeah. This is a lot of what coaches do now in their offseason. They've done this a long time ago, right? Like they did this before the draft. They did this before mm-hmm. free agency. But we're going we're gonna to do it right now because we didn't have a podcast back before the draft and free agency. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're playing catch up here. And also, bit. it's still a relevant topic. 100% so relevant. Yeah. And in fact, the, the, where we start today is the most relevant. So relevant that we've done three episodes and we've talked about the position twice. Middle linebacker. <laughs> you spent some time watching yeah. the middle linebacker you know specifically and so actually before we even get into to like what you found on tape can you walk people through what it's like to watch tape for you like as someone who played as someone who really understands what they're watching so when you do an evaluation of a position like middle linebacker like obviously you're watching each play you're watching the middle linebacker it's not like you're just kind of taking it in and be like oh hey look the middle linebacker showed up you're watching him but what are you actually looking for when you watch film on a positional level so, yeah, like, uh, it depends. So, like, when I'm doing um, college evaluations, I really look at, you know, more sp- – it's, it's more general, right? I'm looking for athletic traits. Like, how do they run? How do they jump? How do they move? How do they take on blocks, right? And it's just kind of what is there for the coaching staff once they get to the NFL to work with, right? And I think that's a big part of my college evaluation. And they go quick because you're like, okay, you can kind of see pretty early on. Like, you're a coach. You're a strength coach, Craig. Like, you can kind of tell athletic mm-hmm. qualities – I don't want to say quickly, but they tend to reveal themselves very early. And then like the football specific stuff, that's where you got to kind of really study a guy and figure out what's going on for these types of evaluations. I try to take what I need, what I know about Jack Del Rio's defense. Right. And I think that's important to understand. Like they are a single gap defense. So that means that there's usually playing an eight man box and um, that eight man box looks different. Like it might be from a quarters look where both safeties are way back or a cover three look where the safety's in the box. And they always try to be plus one in the run game. And that fit, that extra fit player, sometimes comes from depth, sometimes comes from line of scrimmage. But it helps understand, like, where the linebackers should be in the run fits. And then kind of generally, like, what are their coverage instinct likes? Again, like, the athletic element is still there. But this is where the the evaluation really comes into fold, right? Is how they fit within the defense. Are they doing what Jack wants them to do? And, um, And how hard would it be to find someone else to do the role and play the position the way that they're playing it? So with that background, which is really cool insight and and understanding that, like, again, it's already a type of thing where you have to understand this. This is the point I always made when I did my film stuff and why I always try to take the time to go and talk to players or as I got, you know, certain players that I develop relationships with, I'll be able to text them and be like, hey, I'm watching film. Um, I'm seeing this. Am I right? Because at the end yep. of the day, I want to be right. Like, I'm not going to out you as, as the person. And at the end of the day, me going out and putting wrong analysis in, into the Twitter world or to, to on the air or whatever wasn't helpful. So, like, they got that, that I cared about being right. And so I, I think the point to underline and emphasize from what you just said, and then we'll dive into the substance of Washington <clears throat> football, or I guess at the time, Washington football team, middle <laughs> linebacker in 2021 – um, is you have to understand what they're supposed to do. Watching a guy go make a play or seeming like he's going to make a play might be him covering for someone else or and, and the guy who makes the play might have just gotten lucky. And like that's yeah. it's okay if you get lucky on, a, on occasion. You get lucky a lot. That actually means you have really good instincts and you're a playmaker. That's, that's no longer luck. 
you, you go and you wind yourself, you know, wandering out of position or a guy who looks like he's late covering something because maybe he's actually covering for someone else who screwed up. Understanding the scheme is really important. And so I I think it's important that you shared that premise and I appreciate that. And I think that will make us going through all this stuff a lot better. With that said, you watch middle linebacker. Do you want to start with one particular guy? You want to start with some overarching thoughts? How do you want to dive into this? Yeah. So let's just start like with, uh, let's just start with, so first off, let me just say this. Yeah. Overarching thoughts about the position. I think it's really important for fans to understand is that Playing middle linebacker, any linebacker, but specifically middle linebacker in the NFL is really freaking challenging. NFL offenses have gotten so complex in terms of what they're doing pre-snap, what they're doing post-snap, and even something like a, like a flash block. So like imagine you've got your five offensive linemen, and you've got your tight end off the ball, and the tight end goes across the formation weak, right, and kind of cuts the defensive end out of the formation. Like that seems like very simple, like colleges run it, high schools run it. But it, it does stuff to an eight-man front fit. It does stuff to a, you know, a gap-and-a-half fit, you know, like thinking about like um, the Rams, for example. They play a gap-and-a-half up front. That makes it really challenging because you've taken a gap from the front side of the formation and now you've added to the weak side of the formation. So even something like very, very simple like that makes it very hard. And so now you've got that kind of flash block. You've got motions. You've got jet sweep action. You've got play pass. You've got keepers. You've got screens. And you have to be able to diagnose all of that. And then you have to cover all the concepts that are designed to attack the middle level level of the defense, which is what the NFL is doing now. So in a way, after I've watched all these linebackers, because I watched the two guys here, Cole and Jamin, then I watched a couple free agent guys, and I just came to this conclusion that playing middle linebacker in the NFL (laughs) is damn near impossible, right? There is like this kind of element of like quarterback level of intellect that you need to have and recognition and instincts that you need to have, which... I wasn't expecting to see when I started this process, right? Like it's tough. It's tough sledding, right? And then add on to the fact that you need to be able to call the defense, verbalize, get people lined up. Again, very, very challenging. However, despite the tremendous challenges of the position, the position as a whole has been devalued. I think a perfect example is look at LA and look at uh, the Bengals, right? They had two, like their starting linebacker core was everybody after the fifth round, basically. They were all drafted after the fifth round. Now they've changed out this offseason with the signing of Bobby Wagner, but like you can get away with kind of average linebacker play. And so I think when you look at the two guys here, I think they're projecting very nicely to average to above average. So let's just start with Jamin, I guess is a good place to start. So Jamin, when you watch him, I guess there's a lot of things that he doesn't do well, right? He, he struggles to take on blocks, which got better after I'd say the second Cowboy or the, the first Cowboys game. He started using his arm length very, very well. He started understanding where to fit a little bit better. Also, you know, linebacker, much like running back, is supported by the defensive line. Sure. So if you watch like the first probably three, three and a half, four games, the defensive line was, you know, I think Ron, that was kind of the period of time where Ron was talking about selfish play. Yeah, right? it was a disaster, really. Because it's funny, you talk yeah. about L.A. and it's like, well, they have linebackers that are fifth rounds. Like, yeah, well, they also have Aaron Donald up front, correct. which tends to help things. Yeah, correct. And they great edge players. You know, they've got good five techniques who can play a gap and a half. Here, what I, what I saw early is, like, Jamin was catching a lot of heat for misfitting runs. And then when you go back and watch those plays, now I'm not saying Jamin was perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I'd say 10 to 15, maybe 20% of his plays was one of the defensive linemen or not fitting in the correct gap. And so what happens, and remember, everyone has their own gap, which makes it really easy to identify who's wrong. If someone gap releases and you're in your gap, you look like an idiot because you're counting on, you're forcing right. the ball back to that closed gap, which is now open because someone's released. So I'd say just from that, just as that is a starting point, you'll see a, 
I'd say a 5% production increase from Jamin Davis over the course of the season, just because I'm assuming that you bring in a guy like Fedarian, who's this unselfish player, who's going to play his gap, do what he's supposed to do. After watching Payne, I thought Payne did a much better job than I originally thought in terms of being where he's supposed to be as a nose. But now you get a guy in Fedarian who has a more natural skill set for that, so Payne can move around. And Allen, I think, again, would get out of his gap occasionally, like everybody does. But I think those two guys were much more consistent than, let's say, like a guy like Matt Ioannidis, for example, right? So just imagine that. Imagine you get a 5% uptick in his performance just based on who's in front of him. Right. That's, that's so like, that's to, a, to, to analogize this for folks, yep. like this is like, okay, hey, we got to get somewhere. You get a police escort, right? Police yep. escort's taking it. And all of a sudden, you follow a police escort down a one-way street the wrong way. But hey, you got a police <laughs> escort, so you're fine. Right. If all right. of a sudden that police escort decides to like swerve out of the way and yep. an oncoming truck comes and takes you, you're like, well, I yep. thought that I was safe to be here. I was doing what right. I was told. And when you're on that second level, if someone else moves out in front of you, like you are screwed. And this is the kind of yep. thing that would happen you know, a ton early last year. Yeah. And it, it's the kind of thing where it was a lot easier to see this, the quote unquote selfish play that Ron would talk about in past situations, because you'd see chase or you see Montez get way upfield. You see a, right. a, a quarterback scramble out through the gap. And, and it's so obvious that they clearly lost contain that there's you know, like, that's the issue. Okay. We got it. We understand <laughs> on anybody who's ever watched football. Like, Oh yeah. If that guy wasn't so far that way, the quarterback wouldn't have had that lane to run through on yeah. run fits. It's a lot more complicated. It's a lot. It's happening in a lot more condensed space. Yeah. And so that's why I think there's a huge value in, in someone like you going back and watching the tape and understanding like, and kind of pausing even at certain points. Yeah. I mean like there's a gap, there's B gap, there's, Oh, there's no one there. Yeah, and all of a sudden running back cuts back, you know, linebackers in the D gap John's in in the B and a half yeah. uh for instance yeah. and you know out, out the running back goes and, and all of a sudden you see that linebacker diving lunging trying to make a play and it's like oh he's out of position it's like no he was exactly where he was supposed to right. be and now he is trying to make up for someone else but this is the NFL the other team's really good and yes. it's not possible to do that thing yes and I and I want to and I want to make it clear that <clears throat> that was not every play like Jamin for sure up. But there are enough plays where you say that if they get that corrected. And now that's tough duty because we just talked about all the stuff offenses are doing to manipulate middle linebackers. But defensive linemen have to be aware of how different pull schemes, different crackback schemes affect how you fit runs, right? And they have to fit differently too, right? So let's say I get that crackback, right? We've added a gap week, for example. I have to play from the A. Where, right, the, the backside A to now the B gap, which if you count it down the line, it's I know this is kind of a nerdy thing to talk about, but mm -hmm. be, essentially becomes like the new A gap. And so that's tough for those guys to do as well. So I'm not saying that it should be like this easy fix, but when you watch a guy like Fedarian's tape, like he gets that. It's not the sexiest thing in the whole world, but that's what he does very, very well. And I think that, that having that rotational piece of a guy who's going to be where he's supposed to be is going to help not only Jamin, but also going to help Cole, right? Yeah, you hear, you hear the, t the term assignment and alignment a lot on defensive yeah. football, but like that's if there's a lot of stuff happening pre-snap or like kind of exotic blocking schemes happening post-snap, knowing yeah. what the assignment is in the first place is it can be really difficult. And so yes. it, it, that's actually really interesting on Fedarian to know that like yeah, he's smart enough that he's seen a bunch of different stuff and right. res responds well, understands where he's supposed to be really well. I don't know we're talking about Jamin right now, but Fedarian yeah. also has lined up in multiple spots. He's lined up at a six technique, which is basically defensive end. He's lined up at five. He's lined up at three. He's lined up at nose. So, obviously, he shows a tremendous ability 
cognitively mm-hmm. to kind of say like, I know what the rule is at the end. I know what the rule is at the three. I know what the rule is at the nose. And that's awesome to give you some flexibility up front in a, in a, in a defense, which doesn't play a ton of fronts, but you know, nice to have the positional flexibility for sure. So, all right. To, back to the, to, to the Jamin related Jamin stuff. Yes. So again, like that not only helps Jamin, but that also helps Cole. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's also important to note too. So that's going to be a nice increase in both of them. And if you just look at their PFF scores, for example, right? Cole, I think graded at like, uh, I think he was like 56, 57. And if you add a 5% increase in production, he's in the sixties. And that's like top. I want to say that's like top 20, no 37, top 37 linebackers in the NFL, which is good. Like, cause mm-hmm. there are some guys that have like, you mentioned the guy, uh, Quan Alexander, right? He's mm-hmm. probably the best free agent linebacker on the market. Yeah. He graded in at 50% last year in terms of PFS metric. Now say what you want about PFS metric, but it's kind of gives you, everyone's getting graded approximately the same. So Cole with this adjustment would be roughly 10 points higher than him. You know, a guy who is by far got a better pedigree, better athlete, but just by getting that contribution from the defensive front is better. And so Jamin goes from a 49 to a 59 and you get two linebackers who are graded over 60 or graded approximately 60, which is great for your linebacker play, given all the stuff they have to negotiate. Mm-hmm. Now back to Jamin again, early in the season, really struggled taking on blocks. Even when he was covered up, he just had a hard time. He'd be really high. Didn't use his length. Well, again, get to the Dallas game and you see a guy who starts to understand like, okay, I can't run into this guy with my chest. This is the NFL. This guard is going to smoke me. And you saw a much more productive guy at a taking on blocks, B shedding blocks and then also kind of playing with a little bit better sense of urgency, right? So that's good, because that was a big criticism of his game. And then yeah. on top of that, when dude is covered up, I mean, this is going to sound like hyperbole, but I'm being 100% real here, is I've never seen a human being, NFL, I mean, like, and that's a, I'm getting out, I'm getting ahead of myself. He runs to the football like probably five dudes in the NFL can. When he's covered up, he can flat fly to the football so when you like say covered can, up so people understand like yes. when, he, when he is free which yes. I, like football terminology is backwards covered yeah. up means free yes, like that doesn't right. make sense but like basically when the lineman eats the block that he's supposed to in front if the guy who's supposed to go up and block Jamin is covered up thus Jamin yes. is free yeah phew, goodbye it's 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 incredible like he like his spa, his splash plays from last year like I don't even remember all of them but the, I, just one that comes to mind was against Buffalo he's in the a gap they're running a screen or like a pick play to the right, and the he's got the third receiver. So they run a play action. So he fits, and then he recognizes that it's not a it's not a run, and he runs to the flat, and he's able to catch a receiver before he's able to turn up and make a play. Like there are very few people on God's green earth who have that ability. So if you're a fan of the position, and I think like Ron and Jack are, you see those moments and you say, "Wow, like this is a very this is like a diamond. This is a unicorn, and we need to foster this." Now, the thing that I found most frustrating about Jamin is I felt like even as he was playing better, I felt like his football IQ was d- diminishing. I felt like there was a lot of plays where I'm like, he has no idea what the mm-hmm. heck he's doing. Like against, I mean, there, this, is a, this is a perfect example. So against, the, uh, against Atlanta, they run a lot outside zone. The back tries to bounce it outside, and Jamin is like a magnet. Shoom! Tackle for loss. Like, incredible. Like, again, one of those miraculous plays from my, my linebacker position. The next play, they run a little jet sweep the other way. His feet are dead frozen in the ground. The guard runs up and is right on him right now because that's what guards do in that scheme. Like, you know, Kyle Shanahan ran the shit out of that here. Mm-hmm. And he tries to undercut the block, and then he's out of his gap, and there's a huge asshole. And thank God uh, Allen basically, like, deboed his guy and, like, made the <laughs> tackle. But you know what I'm saying? But, like, right. 
that kind of stuff is super frustrating. That hesitation, right? He had a coverage. Uh, he gave up a touchdown against Green Bay to, to Tanyan. How do you say that guy's name? The tight end? Uh, I think that's right, Tanyan. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And he's got – it's a middle field closed. He's a tight end. We don't care about tight ends yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Forget that guy. But there's like the middle field <laughs> is closed, right? There's a safety there. And he's playing with inside leverage when his help is to the inside, right? So, like, those things are things that you should know, right? Those things are things that make you play football better. So, what I see, again, this is a good and a bad thing, is I saw a guy who didn't know what he was doing a lot. And if I'm Jack, if I'm Ron, maybe I take solace in the fact that in year two of a defense, he's going to know what he's doing at a little bit higher level. And therefore, you get more of those kind of one-in-a-million type of splash plays that make him a really special, special football player the reason you take him 19th overall in 2021 yeah um it also seems or feels to me like a guy who kind of and i'll explain this um, because it's going to sound harsh initially but like he needs to learn how to think right like correct he needs to learn how to prioritize information of like if you're inside if you have help inside and you're playing inside you need to have a higher level of understanding and be able to filter the information and be thinking from the very beginning like I have help inside. I need to play outside. Correct. Like, and it really is about at the NFL level, at NFL speeds, prioritizing the right things and understanding if I'm going to get beat, I need to get beat in this way. And that way I know that I have help there right. or whatever it is and trusting your teammates around you. And, you know, part of that is just experience of like, oh, I did that last time. It didn't really work. And this is a guy who hasn't played a lot of football. So it's going to be really interesting in year two just to watch him develop. Cole's got a little bit more football under his belt. Yeah. Had a lot more at Carolina. Uh, where he was three straight years of 100-plus tackles. And then comes out, winds up, winds up playing a lot more, I think, than, than anyone anticipated early. And has now got a decent amount of NFL football uh, for a guy, you know, considering his draft position and how young he is, yeah. under his belt. What did you see from Cole Holcomb last year as you, as you dove back into the tape with, with fresh offseason eyes? Yeah, so I think the thing about Cole is he's like, he's like I don't want to say – he's like two years ahead of Jamin, right? So a lot of the issues that Jamin has in terms of like knowing what to do and rallying to the football, there's a little bit of hesitation, but it's fewer, there's fewer instances of that. And he's also like a much better tackler, right? So he gets to the spot where he's supposed to be more frequently and he's there with more consistency, right? He's taking on the block better. His, his technique is just more refined because when you compare their athletic measurables, like I know Jamin is like a one in a million in terms of length, vertical jump 40 but cole ran like a 4-4 something 4-4-5 i think it is yeah like so he's rolling right and he's a converted safety and you see that you see his ability to like make those plays again they're not quite that same level of wow as jamin but the floor for cole is not as low as jamin where jamin's falling on his butt and like running the wrong way and all that kind of stuff like cole is much more consistent and that makes sense right and so i you know i was talking to john kime i was like do you remember cole being similar to jamin in the beginning and he was like, yes. And I think that's good, right? I think because we talked about, like, we talked about it, what if the D-line just plays with a little bit more consistently in terms of where they're supposed to be from a gap, how that increases production by, let's say, 5%. Imagine if Jamin knows what to do by an increase of 10%. And that's not a big increase, but that's enough. So now you're even, like, you're feeling pretty good about that development. And it's like, and it's not like this crazy development where you say, Jamin or Cole, they need to be running four or fives to play in this defense. Like, mm. they do that. They've got the physical tools. It's just about getting more comfortable in the system and making sure the coach is directing them at a very high level. So I think Cole is actually in a really good spot. You know what I'm saying? It's just about whether he can, you mentioned Mike linebacker. Is he a true Mike? 
And usually when you watch a true Mike, they have this very high level ability to just, again, like I think about Luke Keekley, I think about Ray Lewis, I think about Brian Urlacher, those types of guys, it's just instantaneous processing. They get everybody lined up, they get the call out, then they're ready to play football. And then like Luke Keekley is a great example. He's been well-documented calling the run formations out, all that stuff. Like that's a next level thing. And I think right. that honestly comes from like film study and film prep. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, what was you had a nice way of wording it was the like prioritization um, of information, right? And that comes not necessarily like in the moment of of the ball being snapped. Mm-hmm. That comes on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday right. when you're studying first and down, first and second down runs for the opposing team. Right? This is what they like to run. This is what's problematic when we run our cover four. This is what's what's problematic when we run our cover three. How am I going to combat this? What's my visual cue? What's my tell? How do I know play action versus... And you can just tell they have no one in that room who's done that outside of Mayo, perhaps. And that's why you see against Philly, for example, you see Cole playing a little bit better because Mayo's out there. And that's, I think, after watching him play, I think that's how he prepares, you know, and that helps everybody else. And and so it's as simple as this of like, if if you're like me, and you struggle to go to a restaurant and figure out what the hell you want to eat. <laughs> and you go to somewhere like the Cheesecake Factory. Not that I go to the Cheesecake Factory often, but it's like notoriously known for having the biggest menu known to it's me. It's got a Bible, Bible of a menu. Right. And you're like, ah, if you just try to pick something off of the entire Cheesecake Factory menu, you're screwed. But if yeah. you're like, do I want chicken or steak? Okay, I, yes, I want one of those two things, and it's chicken. Well, now you've yeah. narrowed down a lot. And, and if you're like... All right, it's first, it's first, second down, and let's say it's second down and seven, which yep. is actually one of the still you're going to have like the most, the biggest menu there. That's like a, an ideal distance for an offense. But like there are things you can eliminate. There are certain yep. things that you know, okay, it's second and seven. I know based off of their tendencies, based off of what they run, based off the, you know, all of a personnel. sudden you watch the personnel. personnel. They break the huddle, and you just like keep narrowing it down. It's like, okay, I know second and seven is chicken. Okay, now yeah. they're in in three wide receivers. <laughs> what an analogy! Three wide receivers, one tight end. Okay, now and now it's chicken and rice, and like yes. all of a sudden you're at like three dishes, and yeah. you're like, okay, well I can defend. It. And and by the way, if I know it's three and two of them go one way and one goes the other, right? Uh, I'm gonna, like I'm all leaning. of a sudden it goes the way of the one, and you know what the play is yeah. a half second into it. Yeah. And so it's that, that, again, prioritization of information, the ability to, to process of elimination and figure out and just weed things out based off of the information that's given to you as it comes in. It's a lot. It involves that study earlier in the week to have that, that full playbook in your mind in the first place to not forget anything and to really understand what's going to happen. And, but even if it goes, let's say, the direction where there's two, okay, well, now you've only got two options, and that's a lot easier to defend than the yeah. entire Cheesecake Factory menu. Right. <laughs> that is the best analogy I've ever heard for film study. But that's exactly right. I did it. That's exactly right. You're taking this thing that is infant, like super complex, and you're just basically saying, like, in... So, like, this is what, like, this is what I would do. When I was prepping for um, other teams, I would get, oh, like, this is what we're doing in 21 personnel, us as an offense. Mm-hmm. These are the runs we're running. These are the fronts the defense runs to this, right? And as an offense, you don't want to run certain things in certain situations. So instead of having a million plays, now you only have like four plays. Like even short yardage. Everyone thinks like short yardage. Oh my gosh, everything's on the table. But usually like on the call sheet, there's two plays that you call in like third and three, right? And then there's a play of like like two passes and one run. So that's three plays. So if you can, through your film study, digest that, 
and you say, okay, they run their run play out of this personnel grouping with this player and this kind of cadence, like, then it's these other two. And, like, that's the type of stuff that these guys need in their life at the moment. And I don't know who's going to give it to them, right? Because you look at the free agent market right now for linebacker, specifically middle linebacker, and it's... It's shown in Alexander. It's, yeah, it's it's that's it. That's it. And then maybe, like, a, a, another name that comes up is, like, Ogletree. But mm-hmm. Ogletree had a rough year last year when I watched his tape. Like, I, I like him as a player. I like the energy he brings. But, again, like, not a guy who's going to help you help you intellectually the way that I think these guys need to be helped. And I think that, I mean, you could maybe hire a coach, hire a consultant, whatever you need to do. But that is to me, the thing that's going to get you the most squeeze out of both those guys. Cause get, the athletic get Keekly off are, of television, get him in here. Yeah. Get him in. I, I'm, like, I'm not even kidding. Like get him on the phone, you yeah, know, 100%. and just say like, get him on here and like, maybe have a meeting with him. Like just to see how we process. Now Keekly is a unicorn because he's got all the physical tools and he's got this tremendous ability to, digest information you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. process information but like that is the thing that they need probably most significantly is like that mental uptick and uptick in performance and cole is good but he is he goes from like a c c player c plus player to like a b p b plus player with just that element to his game Take Command Podcast here on Odyssey Sports. Last couple of minutes, let's take a dive into the Monday mailbag. I got two questions. We'll take about five minutes total on this, Logan. Okay. Uh, let's go with this one first from Yusuf. So given health is not an issue, will Scott deploy really exotic looks like Samuel in the backfield, Gibson out wide, things like that with Wentz as quarterback? Uh, and he says, I think speed and flexibility of the skill positions offer the possibility of a very creative, hard-to-guess offense. Yes, I think is the answer. And I have some information on that specifically that makes me very confident in that answer. <laughs> and I think when you – and it's not just – it's also when you look at the way Ron talks about him, when you look mm-hmm. at the way Scott talks about him. They talk about him his ability to be like that um, that Swiss Army knife for the offense. Talking right? about and Curtis th- Samuel. Curt- yeah, Curtis yeah. Samuel specifically, right? Being able to play running back, be able to play slot. And I think the only limiting factor there is like how smart is he. And you might know better than me, Craig. I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, but I've heard – He's a very bright guy. So yeah, I haven't had a chance to talk to him, but obviously watched him in Carolina and even a little bit that he played last year. And look, it was a very little bit that he played last year, but like when right. he was in there, he was all over the place. It was very yeah. clear that they wanted to do that stuff. They did some of it with DeAndre Carter. They did some of it with some other guys. They, they used McKissick. And, and like when it's McKissick, it looks less obvious because we're used to a running back kind of right. doing all of these things. But when it's in reverse and all of a sudden receivers in the backfield, it's like, whoa, look at them getting all fancy. But when you have those guys that can do all that stuff together and all of a sudden, you know, let's say, I mean, you could theoretically break the huddle and like have two backs, one receiver, whatever, and yeah. your two backs are McKissick and Gibson. They go wide, and Samuel's in the backfield. And, like, as a defense, you're trying to figure out, again, if, if you're trying to make it confusing for a defense to figure out alignment and assignment and nobody's where they're, quote-unquote, supposed to yeah. be, like, that's the kind of stuff that offensive coordinators – like, if, I'll put it this way. To answer the question, yes, I expect that because if they built this roster without that in mind, yeah. they would be the dumbest staff in the NFL, and I do not think they're the dumbest staff in the NFL right. And frankly, they'd be dumber than a staff that could ever get hired in the NFL, and they are certainly not that. Like, well, this is a roster built for versatility, so obviously they're going to be versatile. Yeah, and also I think even kind of like to piggyback on your point, like the most simple way you can deploy that is let's say you go four wide receivers, one tight end. Defenses have personnel checks mm-hmm. to that 
formation to that personnel grouping, right? So a lot of teams go Tampa two, right? You go two safeties deep, right? You run the Tampa up the middle. And then you have now the ability to motion him in and have a backfield and you can run out of that, right? With a guy who's very dynamic with the football on his hand. That's one of the reasons Kyle was so successful with Debo is it Mm -hmm. puts these defenses in these really weird conundrums because no longer can you run and call your normal stuff to single personnel, which is four wide receivers and one tight end, because now Curtis is in there. Mm -hmm. And so you might hedge a little bit and say, oh, well, we got to run cover three because we need that other man in the fit for the run. But now, if they go regular Cinco personnel stuff, which is a lot of horizontal and vertical separation and route concept, you're screwed because you can't defend that. So that's like the most basic way that it becomes advantageous. Now, Craig was talking about running backs and all that. That's that's another way you could do it for sure. Well, even beyond scheme, it's personnel, right? Like you come out there and it's like, oh, we're in our dime. And then all of a sudden, Curtis Samuel's running up the middle against your dime defense. And that's not ideal if you're you're on the defensive side of things. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's... I'd love to see that for sure. All right, last question. This one from Jeremy. What position group do you have the most optimism about and which is the biggest concern for the commanders? I'll go first on this one. I think middle linebacker, as we just discussed, is still the biggest concern. You know, Logan did a great job there, and and we dove in, including a big giant cheesecake uh, factory menu analogy (laughs) on the difficulties of that position and why there is some to be desired, even if we think that Jamin and Cole can be a lot better this year. To me, that's the biggest concern. And honestly, receiver is the one I'm most excited about if Curtis Samuel's healthy. Like, Terry's great and if he had other people next to him what can he do if curtis samuel is healthy he is one of the most dynamic players in the nfl i really like dotson like the more i've watched him the more i've talked yeah. uh, to people about him the more i like him and then and then you still got you know can diami brown be anything can cam yeah. sims be anything like they've there are gonna be battles there in training camp too of, of who ultimately is going to make this team and how that plays out i am fascinated uh at what they can do at receiver i, I that's the one i have the most optimism about Although I guess optimism is a funny word if you're like being optimistic about the health of Curtis Samuel given recent history. Right. Well, and also like you know, like that's I mean that's yeah I agree, but I think that's a good group to be pumped, fired up about. Maybe not optimistic. Yeah. The group that I'm probably most optimistic about is the tight end group at the moment, and I'll tell you why. So not only do they have John Bates, who is like my spirit animal reincarnated, <laughs> like a guy who loves blocking and is also pretty solid in the pass game, but they've got these three kind of very special athletes that could be contributing this year. Obviously, um, Cole Turner, like out of Nevada, the tight end, I think he kind of presents like everyone was kind of like, oh, they need to draft a big receiver. They kind of said, well, maybe we don't go big receiver. Maybe we get a guy who can play tight end, play a little receiver, and be a mismatch because of size and catch radius. And that, to me, is exciting because it kind of speaks to your Curtis Samuel conundrum, right? Because you bring him out there, right? And he's not, he ran a 4.7. He's not the fastest guy in the world. But because of the size, like, how do you match up with him? Do you put a linebacker on him? Do you put a safety? Do you put a nickel, dime? Like, what does that look like for you when you match in 12 personnel? And so not only do you have him, but you have Hodges, the guy out of uh, Arizona State, who I've talked to, to with you about, I know, on mm-hmm. the phone previously. He's 6'8", 35-inch vertical, converted wide That's receiver. Crazy. And when you watch rookie minicamp, he understands stems and understands how, how to like um, break his breaks are excellent for a man of his size. So I say to myself again, like that's two guys right there that again they have to do a lot of growing and there's a lot of projection there, but they could be really big contributors to this team in terms of that mismatch issue, you know. And I think that's something that's really exciting to keep an eye on moving forward, right? And um, in terms of 
skepticism or worry, like obviously middle linebacker, like you mentioned, is something that I'm a little concerned about. And even if they, even if they don't sign a veteran, I'm concerned about depth, period, right? Because mm. we saw what happens when those guys get banged up. There's not a lot after them, right? right. So I think that's something to consider. But also I think uh, secondary, corner specifically. Yeah. No, depth, that's like, another one. I love, I love Benjamin St. Juice. I thought he did excellent last year. But he's coming off a three-concussion year, which is a little bit crazy. And then, obviously, um, William Jackson the third up-and-down performance, to put it mildly. So what is? do you need another piece there, or is that more of a scheme change? Like Those are some questions I have, and I'd like to see some another depth piece, depth piece added. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. Corner is definitely concerning. Safety is intriguing. Um, I think that's the best way. Like, I'm not, I'm not optimistic about it, but I like Cam Curl. Bobby McCain was, was good, yeah. you know, and the, you know, just one of the young guys, whether it's, it's Butler or Forrest, who they drafted last year, mm-hmm. there were a lot of people liked is like one of those guys step up and become that Buffalo nickel or uh, an impact player in any kind of way. So I, I'm intrigued by the, the safety position, but concerned about corner. That is, that is yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. On Thursday's show, we will continue our NFC scouting reports with Dallas and uh, we'll see. We'll see what else we come up with between now and then. Uh, Logan will have a Twitter account. Maybe we'll just spend forty yes. minutes talking about your new Twitter <laughs> account and your thoughts, your initial thoughts on Twitter. No, we will. We'll do other things uh, on the Mondays. So yeah, what do we, yeah, yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep going t- on the mailbags. Uh, we'll keep yeah. going with some positional breakdowns. So make sure that you subscribe wherever you are listening right now, and you do not miss an episode. Uh, until then, have hey, Craig, yourselves. I got a question. I got a question real quick. Yeah. Does does them subscribing help us out? It does. It yes, does. so do that. And by us. the way, it helps them out. Yes. Because you don't have to go, you have to remember, oh, what day is it? Did Craig and Logan put out a podcast? No, you just open your podcast app, and there we are waiting right on you. We're like, hey. There we go. Hello. <laughs> New podcast for your earballs. Uh, so go do that wherever it is that you, and plus, you know, tell your friends too. Be like, hey, did you know that, that Hoffman and Paulson got a podcast now? You don't have to wait till pregame in the Correct. fall. Got yes. football in may (laughs) all right we're out of here y'all have a good one see you thursday